Hey, I'm, I'm Ben. Jeff. I'm Ben. I'm Jeff. Uh, no, I'm... I'm <sighs> ben, just, just do, do it. The, just do okay, the I'm, thing. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, hey, this is Ben, Jeff, and Thayer, and we host a podcast called Convince Me, where we have guests on to try to convince us to get on board with their unique obsessions. Check out our I'm podcast. It's called Convince Me. I'm Jeff. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Perlstein. Today, Heather Ann Campbell is on the show. Uh, quick note, in the middle of the show, I do mention Heather and Miles as the current cage match champion. That information is no longer true. They are recently unseated by the lovely Murder Cliff. Anyway, we still talk a little bit about that. Um, whatever. Who cares? Uh, first, before we get into talking about whatever we talk about, I want to thank the newest people who left feedback in iTunes. Ross Braun, who gave a team shout out to Muddleberry. He's on that team with me and he's the best. Also, I want to thank you, Matt PBF and Double Z and Ben Wells of Justified Harassment. Justified Harassment appears to be a team out here in LA. So I don't know. Check them out. Maybe I will too. Uh, anyway, rate and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Follow the Tumblr at improvobsession.com. I've been posting class notes from the Miles Stroth classes and all kinds of good improv stuff in general. And if you want, you can like the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash improv obsession. And guys, at the end of the show, uh, I'm going to plug that at the end of the show, I'm going to be doing plugs for my shows. Listen to those. Think about going to some of those said shows. It's the improv obsession All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein. Today, I forgot my name for a second. Uh, I have on the show Heather Campbell. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am so great. We're sitting in your apartment. Um, I've decided that this is the best smelling location that I've ever recorded this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I, have a, I have a candle. That's all it takes. It's, um, it's supposed to be the oil that they use in the floors at Versailles. They... They the, use oils in the... You know, like, it's the, uh, I got, I, it's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said out like, I found this candle from France. Yeah. And it's supposed to be the kind of scent that they use in the palace. It's cool. Yeah. It smells good. It smells nice. You made a good choice with that. Thank you. Um, all right. So, I, okay, yeah. So, your people will probably... People who listen to this probably know you from Heather and Miles most. Maybe last day of school. Um, maybe from... Uh, Improvaganza. I don't know. You would do everything. I, I like improv. A you lot. like improv. I like sketch too, but this is improv. This improv. is the improv session podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But so I mean, I feel like it's fair to say that you've done improv most everywhere. It feels like. Uh, I actually, I um, I grew up in Chicago and did improv there, and I have done improv in Amsterdam, and I've done improv in L.A., but I haven't done a lot of improv in New York. Right. Uh, so not everywhere. Right. I guess I mean more theaters, but even then there's a few theaters in, in New York that maybe you're missing. Yeah. All right, fine. So you're not as good as I think you are. Um, Ouch. <laughs> Podcast over. Podcast over. That's all it takes. I uh, just vaguely insult. Also, I'm clipping super bad on this thing. You need like um, a... That's what happened. I have a... Get my mic. You need this. What's this? this? Ooh, you've got a fancy one. Uh, you know what? No, I, it's okay. It's totally okay. I just didn't check my volumes because I'm bad at this. Okay. All right. Um, 
So I guess so you can't, so you you grew up in Chicago. I think you started IO. I think it was like fifteen or sixteen. I yep. forgot. Uh, can you can you give me the the quick rundown of your comedy career? Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, super fast rundown. Super fast. I started uh, working at Improv Olympic in Chicago extremely young. Uh, the uh, theater owner there noticed me and said, you should take classes. So I got to start very, very young. Uh, I was just doing like the open, the jam sort of thing. Uh, took all the classes, got on uh, Del Close's last team, which is called Spoo. He died. It was really sad and kind of crazy to be in that place at that time and not really have any understanding of how important it was that for me yeah. that I'd been there. Uh, I did um, the Meow Show at Northwestern, which was awesome. Moved to Los Angeles. Then I moved to Amsterdam, did Boom Chicago for a while, came back to Los Angeles, did uh, the Sunday Company and UCB and IO West and Improvaganza. And I think that's pretty much it. Perfect. I mean, that's a brief version. That's no, it's great, and and uh, even with all that, that yeah, that's still the brief version because you left out your current job, you left out Saturday Night Live, uh, yeah, you left out. Well, a bunch those aren't improv. No, nah, it's all right. Am that's I allowed fine. to talk about other you things? Talk about whatever is in your heart. Awesome. That's what I'm awesome. trying. It's open environment. Um, okay, so that's uh, super cool. So you've done uh, you've done a, a lot of uh, things, and yeah, because probably more because you're excited about trying different things, or you're just like. Uh, like I personally feel like I take classes and most places I can because I'm like I'm trying to steal all the knowledge so I can use all of it whenever I feel like it. What is that? A, is that a similar thing going uh, on there? Or are you just yes? Uh, I would say that you know I'm more driven by a desire to succeed than I am to learn, which is uh, kind of I mean that's an empty, shallow way of living life. But no. uh, but the side effect has been that um, I have. Uh, all yeah, I've, I say it a lot that all of the improv theaters that I've done in my life are these tools, and each scene uh, requires a certain tool. And the more tools you have in your tool belt, the better you will be at improvising in any given situation. So the techniques of a place like Comedy Dojo, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, are extremely different from what I learned at, from J.D. Walsh at Ultimate Improv or... Uh, Pep and Andrew in uh, at Boom Chicago, or the people in Meow, or whatever. Yeah. Um, everybody teaches so differently that it's sort of like when you find yourself in that moment where you have to create something on stage. Uh, there's always something that floats to the top, and it's one of these different schools, and then you attack the scene that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of uh, yeah. That's a very similar analogy to the uh, the Stephen King on writing thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, Stephen King on writing. It's really good. He uh, he wrote a book about writing books. Yeah, it's uh, it's like half autobiography, half writing technique stuff. It's cool. really good. He talks about ultimate improv. That's awesome. Yeah, he talks a lot about <laughs> ultimate improv. He's a big. He's really big into that. Him and JD go way back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think that that thing of uh, just trying to. Uh, yeah, equip yourself with being able to deal with... Dude, don't. You're being so kind. You're, you're, I think you're overestimating the sonic quality of this podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I gently she, set down a glass. gently yeah. set it down. It's just... It's, it's fine. Um, yeah, that... Uh, so, so, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to do it. And I... Because um, I get bummed out uh, by people who kind of uh, hail maybe one school or one approach as like the only thing in the world. Well, you like, ah. you never know. Also, you never know which person that you meet is going to end up being like a soulmate in terms of comedy. Yeah. Like there are people that I've met at each theater that I still work with like to this day, like people that I met 
12 years ago, 15 years ago, or whatever, that um, have become an important part of my comedy life. And uh, you can't, there's no one thing that led to me becoming a working comedian. It's a chain of events. Like, if this hadn't happened, then that wouldn't have happened. If that wouldn't have happened, then this wouldn't have happened, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't, I would have broken that chain by just staying in one place with my head down, trying to become the most popular person in any given community. Like, right. that's not the goal. The goal is, I don't know, to maximize your potential or something. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, a. I like that perspective on it. Before I had seen, taken class with you or knew you or uh, ever even, like, seen your shows, I had, Gene was telling me about you, and he was like, yeah, she's really big on, like, go to all the theaters and all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, this this chick gets it. Whatever <laughs> whatever the thing, he's like, yeah, I just do more stuff, create a lot of opportunities. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on that, too. It's like, it's, it's like, just try, try to do as many projects and work right. with as many people as I possibly can right. uh, and I'm exhausted all the time but I'm like but yeah. it's a good way to do it it's, you know? it's the, I think it's the best way I think it's the only way to do it right. is to like there's so much like fishbowl drama in any particular theater that you yeah. can like drown in it but if you'd like take the things that are valuable and you use the greatest gift that you can give any theater is not to be there when you know when anything is happening it's to demonstrate their techniques to the best of your ability because you're a functioning advertisement for that theater like if somebody sees you like hit the game really hard in a scene and they're like, oh, where'd you learn that? And you say UCB, they'll go to UCB and there might not be a show that you do at UCB you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being able to bring, and also, and it's also that thing too of like, uh, I, I play at the improv space uh, now, which is used to be Ultimate Improv. Yeah. Um, and uh, which used I, to be in the in the attic of a bar. Where, which which one? It used to be uh, on the second floor of Westwood Brewing Company. Really? Yeah. And for years, we did the show there. Huh. Um, People like Jeff Davis and Ryan Raditz and Matt Jones and Lauren Flans and like all these super talent like uh, uh, Derek Miller was in that group. Uh, it was really an incredible group of people all performing in the top <laughs> of a bar. Of <laughs> a bar. Yeah, that's funny. And then JD bought uh, JD got like a pilot or something, and he bought uh, the theater uh, that is now the improv yeah. space. space. Yeah. Um, so uh, that he didn't have to answer to the lunatics at the bar anymore. <laughs> That's, I feel, it feels like a, a number of theaters have a, a very similar trajectory. Like, oh, we're just hanging out in this one place and we're like, we can't deal with these crazy people anymore. Yep. Got to get out of here. But like, yeah, when I went over to the improv space, you know, I, I'd done a uh, good, you know, maybe two years or so, year and a half at UCB. And uh, that's like no time at all. But I came in and I started doing game really strong. And I was like, oh, you're like this guy on that team. And you're bringing those, it was admired and appreciated on that mm-hmm. team. And then I was like, and then they're like, all right, start doing our thing a little bit more. And I did. And then I bring it back over to UCB and like, wow, you're good at pulling off these organic things. And, you know, like, right. cool. Like it's, and people, and yeah, and people appreciate, I think. And the other thing too is like, I feel like people know what game is at UCB and people maybe at Second City kind of get like political satire and characters but when you pull those things across to different theaters right. they're like oh right we've been so insular in doing this thing that like whoa there's other types of comedy that we all love it's all the same shit we just approach it different yeah and and also the effect is to make it's to make somebody laugh in an honest way it's not to like you know take out your dick and masturbate on stage and then people are like oh my god you see that thing I mean you're <laughs> 
all of these things are driving at some sort of like genuine comedy experience or like a genuine laughter or a catharsis for the audience. And how you get to that moment is sort of a combination of all the different things, I think. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I want to follow up with that in a thoughtful way. That's all right. We don't have no, to. but I'm going to. I'm just trying to find a way to get there. So, no, I think uh, uh, you say like a genuine comedy experience. Uh, and that I find really interesting just because I don't. People maybe people don't take it, it comedy as serious all the time. Like, and it's not to say that like oh it has to be serious or whatever. But there is um, something, yeah, like you're saying, like cathar- uh, there's a catharsis that comes with it. There's uh, an import- There's a value that it has, and I like that you said all that. Mm. One of the <laughs> one of the Your things <laughs> one of the things that I say a lot in my class, uh, which is something I heard from a teacher, uh, is that your your pre- you, what you do on stage is that you are uh, you are doing the things that everybody wishes would happen in their real life in some way, like the things that they wish they could say to their bosses or the things they wish they could say to their ex boyfriends or ex girlfriends. That these are that you're like a clown and you're demonstrating a different reality and the more honest you are with demonstrating that then the more likely that the people will leave satisfied as opposed to just having had laughter in the evening and I think that you know the the ideal show for me is one that is both base and dumb and stupid and fart jokes but it's also painful and real and about love or loss or death or politics or religion or any of those things but it needs to be a mixture of both of them i don't like shows that are just like you know really fucking slow played serious shit and i really don't like a half hour bathroom humor but like people who are in love take shits so there's the best thing is something that has both of those things in it. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, good comedy reflects the wide spectrum of of human experience. It's not, it's it can't, yeah, just being the the which I see all the time is the you know the the dick joke mm-hmm. improv set that's a half an hour long, just talking about dicks and blowjobs and mm-hmm. shit, and you're like, all right, yeah, that's fun. And then every yeah, then also I don't see this as much, but every now and then you'll see somebody treats it very serious. No, this is all very important. Yeah, Ugh, get out of my face with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just don't care about your thoughts. Um, nice, I love that. Okay, so I want to let's maybe let's okay let's go back into getting a little more specific. So you were on uh, Del Close's last team, Spoo. Yes, yeah, Spoo. 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 S-P-O-O. Spoo. Okay, I don't know why I wanted to put a G on there. Because that's a word. Spooge is a yeah, word? Yeah, that's a word. What is it? Semen. Ew. No, it's splooge. That's splooge. Oh, that's splooge? Yeah, I think that's splooge. Are you splooge. sure? I don't know. Maybe in the 90s. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, D- Del Close uh, is like this weird, uh, like, super figure in improv. Like, a, a, you know, I he's long before my time. Uh Revered as a legend, uh, what like what was I mean? What was your experience with him? Because I read like a little post you had on your your blog, and it was very like oh I didn't interact with him, and I was kind of or I didn't interact with him too much, and I was kind of intimidated by him. Uh, I mean, yeah. that was a lot of my experience. I mean, uh, it was uh, 
I was so scared when I started because I was so young and I was so afraid that somebody would find out that I wasn't 21 and kick me out of the theater that I didn't talk to anybody. Like, uh, the, my Miles Stroth, uh, was the bar manager at IO back when I started and I never had a conversation with him until years later because he'd come up and ask me how I was doing and I would like be like, oh God, the bar, bar manager is about to card me. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it was like people, the, the group would go to a bar and I couldn't get in. And so I'd be like, I, I, I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> and at the center of all that was Dell was like, uh, this shrouded in this cloud of cigar smoke. And then he got sick and he couldn't smoke anymore. And that was like a thing. And like, Oh my God, there's no smoke around Dell. And he was very serious. And his notes were, um, his notes were, I mean, there were, there were, there were a lot of women at the theater who would like get teary eyed or, or freaked out or cry because he'd be very bluntly honest with them. Yeah. Uh, but my relationship with my father is such that he has been very straightforward with me my whole life. So it was the sort of advice that I was extremely used to and, uh, mm. and coveted. Like that's, yeah, that's the way a director should work is be like, that sucked. Do you know why it sucked? And I'd be like, Oh, uh, because I wasn't listening. He's like, right, so you're going to do it again? I'll be like, no, I'll listen next time. I missed it. It flew by me. Uh, so that, I, we used to, I used to eat cheeseburgers next to him before every show, which was kind of cool because there was a diner next door. Yeah. But most of my experience at I.O. when I was young was just fear. Yeah. Like, oh, God. I'm not going to be able to come do this thing that I love because everybody here is going to find... Because the bar's in the room. It's not... There is no, like... Yeah. At I.O. West, I, it, theoretically, you could go in the side door or something and do the show and leave, or you could do a show in the loft or whatever. Right. But in order to walk in at I.O. Chicago, you had to go into a bar. Yeah. So... That's, um... That's, well... Yeah, so I, it sounds like I would have been crying with some of the girls if I had been there. <laughs> I think that's that's for sure. Um, he would stop scenes in the middle and be like, "No, no, no," and and just sit, you know, sit down. Oh, <laughs> you sit down. Uh, it was I, great though. So it caused so much pain in my it caused pain in my heart to think about that could happen sometime. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I think that what, what's funny about that is uh, I feel like <clears throat> when you're learning improv or all of improv, it's just a lot of like dealing with a lot of fear mm. for me. Like personally, and I feel like I've talked to plenty of people about this, and they sort of agree. It's just dealing with like a lot of the fear of doing it, of being on the stage, uh, uh, trying to be funny, trying to perform, trying to engage an audience, trying to do all the things that you've learned, all these rules. Uh, also trying to forget the rules and have fun. Like, there, all that stuff is like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to screw it all up. But it sounds like you, you had, like, a completely different fear. And I wonder <laughs> if in a weird way that helped you. Because you're, like, in the middle of the show, it's like, oh, I just hope I don't get kicked out. I'm not really thinking about onto the whole stage thing. Just, I hope they don't fucking card me. I'm sure. God, I wish I'd started when I was a child. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, so, okay, so then you, yeah, you were on your the last team with Dell. And then before that, or I guess at the end of that, you 
you moved out to LA. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm simultaneously with that. I was doing uh, improv at Northwestern, and it was it's the I cannot stress enough what an incredible experience that was. Like it's a fantastic show. They taught me how to write sketch at the same time. This is Northwestern. Yeah. Okay, uh, I know nothing about that. So let's. Uh, it's what called is that? it's called the Meow Show. Okay. And uh, the Meow Show has birthed such comedy greats <laughs> as Seth Meyers okay. and his brother Josh. Uh, people like Julia Louis Dreyfus, uh, people I don't you know uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia or Funny whatever. Sure. Um, and I because I started doing uh, improv at IO before I got to college, I walked up to the director and was like, "Oh, how, oh, how when's the audition for this?" Yeah, and they were like, uh, "It's in two weeks." I'm like, "Oh, cool, I'm going to do this," and they were like. Excuse me? Because <laughs> I didn't realize that it was like a big campus. It was just an improv show. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I already do improv. This would yeah. be great. <laughs> like, I'm just going to join up. Yeah. This is fine. And uh, got cast as a freshman, which uh, doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was just naivete. Like, I just yeah. didn't know that it was a thing that I should be scared of. Yeah. It was, oh, more improv, like downtown. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, it's totally fine. Um, and... He's going to do more shows. That'll be yeah, that's great. I love it. But it ends. Up, it was a huge deal. Like for me, uh, the directors and the people are so incredible. And we went like we did tour shows out to Los Angeles my freshman year of college, and we're doing shows out here on stages out here. And it was the first time I'd ever been to California. Yeah, like it was remarkable. Like to do this thing that, like there was. Maybe 30 shows a year between all of the dorm shows you would do and the frat house and sorority house shows you would do. And then your major shows, which were half written and half improvised, that were like two hours long and spread over the course of like a couple weekends. Uh, and it was, it's the people who started Boom Chicago all came out of Meow and moved oh. to Amsterdam and were like, I want to create a theater like the Meow experience in Amsterdam because I guess they like pot and freedom. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> so the Boom Show is 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 entirely modeled on the Meow Show uh, because it was started by Meow people. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, that's a that's a great amount of stage time too. Yeah. Uh, and you did that you did that Throughout college, the yeah, whole throughout four college. years, so that, so yeah, you're pick, you picked up uh, 120 shows just doing uh, at this school. Like uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think. And it then took I was doing me... weekly shows. I was on a like a house team and also spoo at IO, so yeah. I was doing shows constantly. Yeah, you're, college. yeah, like for for somebody your age. Especially, yeah, you were pro you got to be like the most experienced person there is at the improv at that time for or somebody your age, right? Yeah, I mean, God, that's a ton. Of, that's a ton of improv. Yeah, no wonder you're so funny. Um, only scared about getting kicked out. <laughs> only, only worried about getting kicked out. Still, even after I'm gonna show up. Yeah, I guess you guys aren't gonna kick me out. I'm in college now. <laughs> that's great. I freaking love it. Um, Miles, uh, uh, this I don't. Miles served me my first drink at the bar when I was 18. Yeah, because they all I'd been there. For for years, so they assumed that oh, she, you know, it wasn't even a question, and yeah. I hadn't asked for a drink. My first drink was a Rolling Rock beer, <laughs> and Miles served it to me. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so then I'm trying to. So, and then you were learning. You were learning sketch at the same time. Um, I feel like that. Uh, that when people 
start doing sketch, uh, their co- their improv gets better. Or when people in sketch start doing improv, their sketch gets better. Uh, did you notice a similar thing, or were you just? Yes, I yeah. mean, I feel like the structure of sketch is that you have to you choose how to heighten it. Mm-hmm. So those. Um, Weapons in your mind become sharper when it comes to choosing how to heighten a scene. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you spend more time with a sketch than you do with improv. So you're like, it's almost like um, doing, I don't skateboard. So I don't know how this metaphor is going to turn out for I me. But it. it's like skateboarding and doing tricks very slowly so that when it comes time to doing like the half pipe. Yes. You can do them very quickly and with greater freedom because you've uh, gone through the same motions like over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's sort of... Um, that sounds rough. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, because there's that... Terrifying. Uh, there's that... Mo- the, that... Being deliberate about your... Yeah, being deliberate yeah. about your choices uh, in Sketch where you kind of think it over and... It's, yeah, it's like slow motioning a scene. Right. So you get, as you write it, you're doing the slow motion version of the scene and go, and you can kind of like dissect and overthink choices. That's why I sketch takes so long and I hate it. Uh, but then in the opposite, once you apply those rules to improv, it makes you faster at learning how to do that sort of activity or that, that uh, make your brain work that way. So then you go back to writing sketch and you can do that faster and they reinforce each other until it's easy to do either of them because it's just oh, this is what I would do in a scene, so I'll kind of do the same thing in a sketch, but I can go back and correct that a little bit and make it a little bit better. And then knowing that, when you go into an improv scene, you can do the same. So it's, I think it just, you know, pyramids towards a faster and faster point. Yeah, yeah. until you become this weird ultimate comedy being. Um, I, uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, Doing, I think I started. I think I sort of more started with sketch, but not really. But yeah, I remember noticing for me when I was writing my sketch after doing improv, I was like, "Oh, I'm getting better at doing more surprising choices uh-huh. or more funny choice." Like, you know, because it's like, "Oh, once you kind of write it out and you're like, I know how to logically apply things that are funny to this sketch. I have thought this out." Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it's like, "Oh, this feels stiff and boring." But yeah, bringing bringing that improv perspective to it is. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so then uh, after Northwestern, after uh, Spoo, <laughs> gotta get it right. Uh, came came out to LA, uh, and then you were, what were you doing out there? Just uh, uh, I was uh, on teams at uh, IO West before it was IO West when it was at the Complex, mm-hmm. um, and it was on a show, a weekly show called Power Box, which was all women. Uh, and I get it. Yeah, don't you get it? I do. It's like Spoo. All it's of my like Spoo. team names are uh, <laughs> sexual euphemisms. Euphemisms. And then uh, I was also doing a place called Comedy Dojo and Ultimate Improv and uh, the first few levels of the Groundlings. Uh, and then was on the waiting list for the three years that it takes to get between one level and the next. I forget which one it is. At the Groundlings. Yeah. And a friend was auditioning for Boom and said, hey, will you come back me up? And I said, sure, man. I'm going to go visit my parents in Chicago anyway, because they didn't have auditions out here yet. Yeah. Uh, flew out to Chicago, landed it, and then I was like, oh, fuck. I don't, this is not what I expected to do with my life. Yeah. It's moved to Amsterdam, and my parents were like, you've got to do it. So I did. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and that was a great experience. You perform Every night of the week for years at a time. Yeah. 
at Boom. Like, there is no... The reason that the uh, success ratio of people that come out of Boom is so high is because you can't... It's it's years of boot camp. Yeah. You know? Like, it's just years and years of dealing with the most hostile audience that you'd ever dealt with as an American improviser. Like, people who are just openly and vulgar... Oh, vulgarly? Sure. Vulg- vulgarity? Vulg- Spoog, whatever. They're just, they're mean to you the yeah. whole time that you're trying to do a show for them. And then you come off stage and they don't believe it was improvised. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, so how, you write, uh, you write all the scenes beforehand or how did you, is there a mirror for the guessing games? Is there a mirror? And it's... <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you're That's constantly so on the defensive and you get back here and it's just creativity and, and mirth and it's so nice. Yeah. yeah, that that sound yeah, that's like uh it's like running with the, the weights it sounds like. Uh it feels like every yeah, I feel everybody I know who's come out of Boom Chicago, uh they're always super impressive and polished and uh and yeah, I mean it's I guess that's one of those things it's like yeah, it's just doing it every day. Uh but there's always, and there's, you don't, I don't, I'm sure you don't have an answer for this, but I always wonder, is it the people that went over that were already that good or were, had that potential to be that good? Or was it that, that, that made them that good? It's probably a combination of both, but everybody I know who came out of there, I'm like, you are just lovely. It's, uh, I would say that you, they cast people with, um, certainly a foundation yeah. of that energy and that professionalism. But that the direction there is very specific. How you're supposed to stand, how you're supposed to impro- improvise, how you're supposed to intro uh, an improv game. Yeah. Uh, like the <laughs> length of sketches isn't as important as how they build or what they're about. Like you have to learn about you know European politics while you work there and then make jokes about European politics. And at first when you come back it's culture shock, but the things that remain are... Don't look like a fucking jerk on stage. Like, stand up straight. Pay attention. Like, you know, it's yeah. it's the sorts of things that should be taught, I think. Yeah. Uh, as some level of some... Like, you know, it's also just wearing good clothes to improvise yeah. for years makes you feel like it's an important thing. You know, if you could wear cut-off jeans to uh, a fancy dinner it wouldn't feel as important to you and, yeah. or, or church I guess people I don't know I don't go to church but if you could Something. like walk in and flip flops on a tank top to church you the, the sort of reverence you felt for the experience would be lessened yeah and I think that boom putting you in these nice clothes and putting you in front of these extremely wealthy like businessmen on tour shows or whatever makes you feel like improv improv is a very important thing. Yeah. You know, you feel it's been, it's a little deified by the experience. Uh, I I've said, I've actually had a conversation about, uh, what you, you, what, how you're, how you specifically are dressed in shows and specific Heather and miles. I'm like, Heather does it right. Like Heather. Cause we, we had this whole conversation about, we saw this girl, not the right clothing clearly uh like dress and it was like ripped and it was like oh this is not how you do it uh and then it's like well you don't want to like over you don't want to like over prepare i'm like you know who does it right heather campbell so <laughs> like, it looks it looks good but it's not like i'm here for a beauty queen pageant right uh and i think that's a great uh that's pretty, yeah to treat it with uh, a little respect yeah and it's, it's like we'll, a, you know i mean 
I don't want to come off as like fuddy duddy or like, but I feel like you should go on stage like you're going to a job interview. You're going to impress, but you're not going to like be off putting with how how much you're pre- presenting yourself to the audience. Like, yeah. you know, it's like you wouldn't go like a beauty queen to a job interview, right? And it's all and improv is like it's the first impression that the audience has had of you is on that stage at that moment when you walk out. Like, just don't be a dick. Like. Treat it with respect, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that, and also, like, maybe this is, you know, I, I don't know a ton of improv culture. I know my, my, like, two or three years of experience or whatever in LA, but it does feel like there's a, a bit of, like, yeah, man, like, I get what you're doing. Like, when it, there's, there's the, the lack of respect for people are trying too hard. That's, like, that's a, okay. such a lame thing, then but it's, it's a thing. It's, that to me is one of my greatest pet peeves. You look, is, you looked really upset. When yeah, I said that. <laughs> it's because you are not there to be too cool to do your fucking job. Yeah, your job is the people paid to see to have their catharsis. They're there not to see that you're too good to like cry or laugh or sing or weep or shit yourself on stage. Yeah, like that. Your contract with them is. They've given you money. Now you are going to give them a show. Yeah. And that energy that slowly drags down an improv community, because it happened in Chicago a lot in the 90s. People were just like, yeah, I'm too fucking cool for this. Like, there's a reason that the theatrics of something, it's a theater, you know? Like, you should act. You should feel. You should be present. And... If you don't do those things, it's fear that keeps you from doing it. It's fear of being embarrassed by uh, trying and failing. It's not that you're that you think it's silly. It's fear. Yeah. Because if an entire group of people comes out and they sing and they are sharp, nobody thinks, "Oh man, this isn't what I paid for." It's uh, wow, they really know what they're doing. Yeah. You know. It's um. I don't like, like, specifically, I don't like that kind of show. Like, I don't want to go see a f- choreographed musical improv show. Like, that's not what I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, but there is a uh, there's a middle ground between coming out and leaning on the back wall and, like, you know, rolling your eyes when somebody tries. Yeah. And then a show where everybody is... Wearing matching shirts, yeah. Like, there's something in between the two of them, for sure. Uh, I think, I think, like culturally, uh, I'm going to make a broad statement about culture that I don't can't really back up. But I think culturally, it is uh, less accepted to try and fail. Like, it's people people don't have uh, the reverence or respect for that generally. Like, you know, it, and Rocky, they that happened, and it's yeah. like great, it was a happy ending, but. In movies now, when people try and fail, they really succeeded. Like, that's, you know, right. Batman, I'll, I'll spoil that, you know, he, he, he does this great, like, sac- The Dark Knight Rises, he does this great sacrificial movie, he's going to blow himself up with a nuclear bomb, and then he did it. And yeah. you're like, well, wait, are you, are you being a big hero who tried and failed, or are you just get, you having your cake and eating it, too? Like, we don't have, like, it feels like we don't have any respect for attempting to fail, or attempting and failing, because that's, that is part of the process, but... We like shield ourselves from it by like leaning on the back wall, and then when somebody makes a big move that you don't understand or you're scared of, you don't see where the comedy is, and you're like, "Oh, what an asshole!" Right? I and that's too. that's nobody's paying. Nobody wants to pay money to see that show. Yeah. Like, 
Monty Python wasn't a bunch of people who were like too cool to do their own show. I mean, that show was a lot of like hopping up and down and singing and like everything being extremely precise. Like nobody looks at Monty Python and goes, ugh, those guys are trying too hard. Yeah. Like if you initiated a scene with the sort of um, uh, the sort of dedication that Silly Walks takes from start to finish. Yeah. If you initiated that scene in front of the wrong group, they would not back you up. It would just be like, what the fuck is that person doing? Right. And that's one of like the greatest sketches of all time is Silly Walks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, man. That I This huge pet peeve of mine is people who are afraid to be professional. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and you know what? The, the thing, too, is they... They don't... I feel like the audience... Okay. I feel like the audience doesn't know something's not funny uh, until you let them know it's not funny. I feel like... I, and that may be an overstatement, but I really... I, there is something there. Because, like, uh, I saw this group in L.A. here, Bangarang. They did a show, and all that happened was... Or they did a group game, and all that happened was that they were riding on a roller coaster. And they all just committed to riding on a roller coaster. And they are screaming and leaning, and uh, they also were holding a pickle. And there was no dialogue. There's nothing really particularly funny about it, but they committed the fuck out of it. And yeah. it's like... And, and after it ended, the audience erupted in applause and laughed. They were so happy to see it. But there's nothing intrinsically funny about that. There's nothing... No. But they committed to right. it. And you're like, all right, I'm giving them... I'll clap away. Because right. I saw something, and it was... Uh, yeah, it was committed and it was a thing. But if if anybody had been like, uh, what are we doing? Uh, yeah. Then yeah, it would have been like, hmm. Yep. You guys are lame. Yep. I don't know. Be Can committed. Can I take a quick uh, take moment? A, take a quick. Thank you. It's the Unpark Session Podcast with Stephen Perlstein. Um, all right. I have, okay. Also, I feel like every coach, I've had four coaches now from Boom Chicago, and they all, every single one of them made a big deal about the intro of the show. Mm -hmm. Col Colton, like, he was like, yeah, you gotta come, like, he told, like, was, was one of the first co coaches, and he's like, you gotta come in, kick down the door, tell him your name, ask him for a suggestion. He was serious about it. And Brian Jack, same thing. Dan mm -hmm. Oster, same thing. Made such a big deal about the intro. Uh, and I didn't get it until I feel like I'm starting to understand it now. Like when I see, even even on teams that I'm on, the people who go, "Hey, how are you guys doing?" Like have put that energy out there. It's like starting off on the right foot of mm -hmm. a show. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I and I admit I'm pretty like, all right, we are going to do a show. Mm -mm. What can I can we have a suggestion? And it's like it's the worst. And I and it's like yeah, people don't respond to that as well, and they will not like the first couple of scenes. Like, ah. And you only have like 25 minutes. Yeah. To get it done. Yeah. So it's, you got to, you totally have to start with that thing. Uh, boom, Chicago, man. They get it. Mm -hmm. They get it. I, I, I hate that they get it. Um, although I only hate that they get it. I hate that they get it. Cause why? Uh, cause nobody else does. Mm -hmm. It's not, I, it's not that nobody else does. It, no, nobody else. Like you, you said that, uh, uh, it should be taught. Uh, and it should be taught. And it's mentioned at some point, like it's quietly mentioned, you know, between coaches randomly after, you know, a couple of years. But it's it, that stuff is not taught. Like that stage presence, I feel like, is not taught generally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So she, so <laughs> I've tied up Heather because <laughs> I'm still going to do this podcast solo now. Um, I mean, I don't hate that they get it, and uh, that I say a lot of weird statements. No, yeah, I, I, I feel like a, the a boom show would not work here. It's, it just wouldn't, uh, because people are more. It's just a different energy. It's like you couldn't go play. Uh, let's see, how can I? Like this, like do, there, do another skateboarding one. No, not a skateboarding <laughs> one. I'll do a different. Uh, um, mm. Nirvana couldn't play at a hip hop concert, and a hip hop concert couldn't play for a Nirvana audience. You know, yeah. they're two totally different things, and they're both completely equally legitimate. Yeah. Uh, but a boom show is too saccharine, I think, for Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, but a Los Angeles show, you could not just go do a fucking, like, yeah, hey, we're going to do improv for you, and I guess we need a suggestion. Like, you'd get, they'd, you'd immediately get yelled at. Yeah. So, I don't, oh, that's too bad. One of my photos on my giant television screensaver is corrupted. Yeah. Uh, but that's... I, so I... It's... It's a, a product of its environment in terms of you couldn't do that sort of thing here. It's also like you can't do a Second City style show at an underground comedy festival because the suits and the snappiness yeah. just comes off too weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There... Yeah. It's... I guess it comes down to expectations of the audience and what you're seeing and uh, whether or not you're going to deliver it. Uh, the thing that I think about uh, a lot is uh, I feel more and more I feel like, yeah, the audience is a participant in the show. Um, and like, you kind of have to give them whatever they want. Uh, you, or, or, or you have to acknowledge what they want. I think that's I think that's closer to the right language of it. I uh, I go back and forth on this topic a lot because um, yeah. part of me feels that that you're an author of the scene, and your intention as the author of the scene is to create it the way that it's supposed to be created. Not to pander to the audience, not to, you know, diminish what you believe to be right and true because the audience has come for one thing and you are providing them with another. Right. But on the other hand, I also feel that comedy is unique in that uh, un unlike, you know, a, a drama or something, the audience isn't the audience is there specifically for a response and the response is laughter. And if you're not providing them laughter and the most amount of laughter in the deepest way possible, then you're not doing your job. Yeah. So if you might have this important notion of what, what a tragedy life is and that you want to, you want to pepper your comedy with that. But if it's making people laugh less then you are doing your job less Effectively, Just, yeah, know. totally. That that absolutely makes sense. There's, yeah, they're they're maintaining your integrity. I guess is what it is, and and then also like serving the people who are paying for it. Uh, there is some kind of 
thing there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't know which one is right. Uh, the philosophy of the Midnight Show mm-hmm. is you are there as a, almost as a service industry, uh, and you are there to provide a service to the audience. Yeah. And that service is laughter and speed and um, that sort of like crazy alacrity and looseness that comes with a midnight show is in service to what the audience is there to do. And then there are shows that are quiet and patient and uh, are more about what the actors want to do and the improvisers want to do in any given moment. I haven't seen uh, Das Risky in a while, but the times that I have seen their show, it was very much about... It's not that they're in any way avoiding comedy, so I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to generalize it like that at yeah. all, because it's the funniest show that I've seen. Yeah. But at no point did those dudes like mime jerking off to a room full of like young people who would have probably jumped up and down and laughed about it. Yeah. You know, like they're doing something else. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe you got to do like more than one show and do one show for yourself and one show for the house. I don't yeah. know. Well, it, you know, it, I think of, um, I mean, I, I don't know what the closest art form is to improv, but I, my guess is it's stand-up comedy. And, you know, you hear stand-up comedians talk plenty about listening to the audience and kind of going like, oh, I think they would like this type of joke or maybe change a set around mm-hmm. like this. They're not liking this type of stuff. Uh, and that, to me, does sound like a, a response we're listening to the audience, even even though you know so clearly some of them have that like, oh fuck you, I'm not going to worry about what the audience thinks too. So I don't know, maybe maybe I was going to make an analogy that maybe that's why it's the more popular type of comedy. But that sounds like I'm full of shit. Um, so yeah. Recently, I've I'm I'm operating under the uh, philo- the philosophy that uh, it is the, the the more you believe in the reality of your scene in improv, the more you completely see it. You see the world, you see your, like if you're playing a woman, you see the nail polish on your hands. The more it uh, uh, enters your mind like a dream where you aren't in a place, but you can see every detail about it if you focus specifically enough. Um, That the more likely you are to be completely free and to always uh, be behaving in a way that is alien to yourself in that moment because you just believe yourself to be somebody else somewhere else. And in that philosophy, you don't hear the audience. And the deeper down the tunnel you go, the less you hear them laughing. And the more it's like, I just burnt my hands on this oven that is actually physically here. Uh, And when I was talking to Miles about it, I was asking him if he remembered the color of the truck we were driving during a specific scene. And he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I remember it. And I'm like, but we never talked about the color. But when you remember the scene, he remembers what the car looks like, you know? And that's because he was closer to a, uh, an experience of belief than he was to a calculation of what the audience wanted and what uh, what would be the funniest thing in that given moment. It was just, oh, the inside of this car is orange for both of us, and we never talked about it. And it's not, I don't think it's, you know, some spiritual moment or anything. I think it's just a complete and total, uh, like, virtual reality. I don't know. It's, it's a dive into a, into a moment as opposed to a floating on the surface of the ocean and making choices about how deep you're going to swim. Yeah. 
Sounds like I got a few years more of jerking off, fake jerking off in front of an audience. Hey, man. I start thinking about I, that. I've, I've cut off my dick in more shows <laughs> if, with Miles than I can count. Or like, you know, blown balloons up with my vagina, whatever it is, <laughs> in any given scene. Oh, clearly I'm a child. Uh... Yeah, I think there, there. Yeah, the the show that I have, the, there's one show in my mind that I felt better about than any other show I've ever done. Mono scene, 30, 35 minutes. It went on forever for some reason, and yeah, I was very super committed. And I was like, oh, I kind of get this. I don't remember the game we were playing. I remember all of it. I remember where all this shit was on the walls. Yeah, and that, and and that, but that is a truly, for me, a unique experience. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've probably only done around two hundred shows now in my life. Uh, and I love that the number of shows you've done is so important to you. It does. It ma- I don't know. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like track what's going on in my life, huh. uh, or like how how my improv's going uh, a little bit. Just like, all right, I've been doing about two. I've done about two hundred shows, uh, and I've had one where I'm like, oh, I really get the reality of this. Uh, <laughs> so, so it, to me, it feels like a rare thing, and that I and I'm like, huh, I wonder, is it one in two hundred shows, or will that percentage increase from 05 percent in my first two years to two percent in my second two years? Kind of. I also don't. I have no idea if that's the if that is a strength or a solution or anything. It just that's what I'm currently. That's my obsession is that philosophy that belief guides your ability to improvise uh, and that the stronger you believe in a thing and the more real it is in that moment, the easier everything becomes. I don't disagree with it. I don't don't disagree with it. Yeah, we'll just just assume that you're right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I want, okay, so actually on the opposite end of that, uh, you did this thing at the Boomtang show I saw, which was what sound can Heather make? Uh, Which was, uh, it was you and Amber and uh, Susie, Susie Barrett, Barrett right? Yeah. And they, you guys just sang a song, and it was like, what sound can Heather make? Listen, children, and learn either ways. And you'd ask for the audience to give you a suggestion of a sound that you can make. Um, and what I found interesting about that was, one, you're insane at making sound effects. Like, <laughs> like I knew that a little bit from, like... Uh, just like the midnight show and then working on the album I was like I get it a little bit uh, and then more and more like I'm like whoa Heather's got like a like a, a skill uh, <laughs> a weird skill uh, <laughs> but but in that in that one I felt like what you were doing was selling the experience to the audience was that one wasn't super committed in the same way of like and don't take that weird but like oh, it, no. was like, uh, it was like it was like Hmm, that's a weird suggestion. It's going to be hard. And to me, that is a little bit like giving the audience what they want. They want you to think oh, that yeah. they gave them the hardest possible sound effect ever. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And, that, and, that, and like that one is playing to the audience. And it's, I, don't, I don't want to call it pandering or whatever, but you're giving them the experience that they want. Yeah, that's, I mean, but that's, nobody wants, I, well, I don't know. That It's not really an improv game. It's more like no. a bit. Uh, yeah, it's totally a bit. And I, w- I received the direction early on in performing that bit that it looked too easy for me. Yeah. And uh, so the director was like, I need you to seem like this is going to be impossible. Yeah. Uh, look at Susie. Look at whoever else is on stage with you. Yeah. Look like this is not... It's because... Yeah. Because nobody, nobody wants to see somebody go up and do trapeze if they don't even bother to look at the... Like, if it doesn't even look like a trick, yeah. why are you at the circus? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's, it's like a movie thing. It's like yeah, you got to struggle through the yeah. the, the second so, act. I mean, Come that's on. a specific. Yeah, I, the theatrics of that game are. It shouldn't be easy, and so I pretend like it's not easy so that the <laughs> audience sees me overcome something, and that's the story of the game. Yeah, and uh, it worked. Yeah, and it's like, I oh, my convinced. God, she can make a dog sound, and it looked like she didn't know what she was going to do beforehand. <laughs> make a dog sound. But really, as soon as I get the suggestions, it's just, it's all <laughs> mental calculation of how to land the joke of the yeah. sound. Well, it reminded me of uh, we did this thing in your in, in your class, uh, which uh, by the way, uh, Miles Improv has a Heather workshop where she does uh, a sketch and improv. Everybody should go take it if you're interested in either of those things. I think you have to take the Money Penny class first. That's also really good. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things you were telling us a story of like how you had to sell a joke at. I think this was I.O. I have, yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, you'd have to like make up a joke on the spot, and you have to sell, and you have to get the laugh however you want. And that and that kind of that kind of stuck with me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, that is totally uh, a valid philosophy, and kind of something that I, I, I think about a little bit. It's mm-hmm. like, oh right, like you have you have to get it across. You have to you have to sell the joke, and that to me is how you end up selling out stuff. Per, that's how I end up selling out stuff on on in shows. Is like I make you know. The, the roll your eyes or whatever is I I, may, I go for that like alright we didn't get this laugh where we're supposed to so I'm gonna go ahead and get the, the laugh now that I can get and now we have to leave because it's oh, like I've ruined the scene I've definitely ruined the scene with my comedy joke but I got the laugh and now just run away <laughs> <laughs> run away and pretend it never happens uh, and that yeah uh, that's something I think about uh, I mean yeah I don't know the professionals the pros that I've worked with, like the people at Improvaganza specifically are like, they are rich from doing comedy and they, some, some of them will play a different thing every, every time we do a show, but often they'll do set bits and they'll pretend to discover those bits for the audience. Yeah. And it's, it's the, I mean, it's the salesmanship of the show Yeah, and the audience enjoys it more if they if they think uh, that you lost their virginity to them, yeah, or, you know, or, something. You know, something like that. Uh, yeah, but, that's the that's like the the Louis C.K. thing. He's very. Uh, I feel like I used to be very convinced by it, and mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, dude, I see what you're doing. Yeah, I see the script. You pretend to go on these tangents. These aren't tangents, right? They're very well thought out jokes, and I, it was like, and like I remember when I realized that a year or two ago, and I was like. Oh no! <laughs> like I'm sad. I'm sad that I know now. I wish I had never known. No, he's just extremely good at what he does. He's very good at it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't. I, there, but all these are. You're talking about writing in all this. Like, mm-hmm. what sounds can Heather make is her written bit. Like the first three things are assembled in a very specific way, and the suggestions are received in a specific order. Uh, to make the game work. Yeah. Uh, and we spent months figuring out which suggestions we could get so that I could always construct a joke. Uh, and those that's all writing. You know, like an improv show is different. Yeah. Because you, you're at the mercy of whatever the serendipity is in that moment. So I, I feel like when, you're write, when you write something, I don't know, I... I at Ultimate Improv, we were always taught, like, never, ever look like something is uh, going to be hard for you. 
Like, J.D. Walsh was always about, like, you get the thing and you immediately snap into action and the audience should be blown away by how complete your uh, enthusiasm or your your dedication to the craft is. It should never be like, okay, we bring you the story of the goat. Yeah. I don't know. And then you start. Like, he was very much about, like... You get the suggestion and immediately, like, you're responding to something in a scene that the audience hasn't even heard and you just jump as hard and as fast as you can. And then there are places like, like, Boom or whatever where, you know, the presentation is partially, like, okay. We used to do this other thing at at Boom where uh, there'd be somebody on the side of the stage and they would uh, command... they command a scene out of other people, um, which is something I teach now in my class as the board, uh, mm-hmm. where you assemble these four different things uh, and you give a suggestion to. Uh, it's like, okay, I want to see, uh, I want to see RoboCop at the bottom of a well. Was you know one of I those remember stuff. doing that right one, yeah. <laughs> uh, at Boom. That is a onstage game that we developed. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and when you walk out. Knowing that you already know this impression and that you have been asked to do the impression by your fellow improviser, your walk out is telling the story, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what's going to happen. So that when you succeed, the audience is like, oh my God, we just saw the story of a triumph. Yeah. Uh, And then half the time it's mixed with, okay, I want to see you do uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Hearts club band in its entirety and you don't know like song one on that album yeah so there's like a mixture of of both things yeah but you're still telling the story of like all right guys i'm gonna try i don't know which one's right i have no idea well yeah i guess it's uh i guess it's you know the boom or northwestern thing is it's like oh you're treating it kind of like a high wire act yeah oh yeah i want to keep them suspense yeah see what happens uh Whereas the other one is like, it's not, I don't know. It's like a magic trick. Right. The other one's a magic trick. It's like, right. whoa, yes. how do they do that? It's, that's, per, that's a perfect metaphor. It's the difference between Thanks, the trapeze man. and a magic thinking, trick. I was thinking real hard about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's, it, it doesn't, and to me that doesn't necessarily, yeah, neither are particularly like intrinsically right. I don't think. No, I don't, I don't think, think so, so either. I don't know. But yeah, Dan Stills very much teaching the get out there and do this. The scene, the choice has already been made as soon as you step and right. People were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. Um, okay. I want to, I want to talk about what, what I perceive to be your sense of humor. Cause I think, <laughs> okay. cause I don't, I don't know that I fully get it. Like I, I, I find a lot of what you find very funny. Uh, funny, funny. What I agree with your humor a lot. But also, uh, it, it's confusing. Because, like, when we talked, we had I had to class, and we talked about, like, your, your favorite movie. You asked me, like, what was my favorite movie? I was like, Punch Drunk Off. And you're like, yes. And, like, you were, like, you had this whole thing. You're like, oh, it's so re-. And you, like, you got, like, into the idea of Punch Drunk Love being a great movie. Because it it's is. a great movie. It's a great movie. It's Unbelievable, it's, always. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, I looked at a still of it last night, and I was like, I should. I was up at four a.m. and I saw a little still of it, and I was like, should I watch this movie right now? <laughs> no, don't do it. It's sad, yeah. and I'm sad I didn't. Um, and that, yeah, and so that that's 
you know, for, I guess for people who don't know what that movie's about, you're going to be lost in this a little bit. But also, like, when you, what I, what I see come out of you as far as your output a lot of times is uh, so not that. And I'm not saying that, uh, like, you have to unilaterally deliver, like, one comedic voice because that's insane. But, but yeah, like, you're, to me, like, if I had to guess what your favorite comedy movie was before that, I might have said Jackass too, because you are so oh, so good. <laughs> it's so good, but those Do you are really like that yeah, one? I love Jackass too. I, I hate Jackass. I love Jackass I so. They make me sad. Much. Oh my god, it's awesome. Oh, it's no. like I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. The yes. day that I was in the room with Johnny Knoxville, because we uh, yeah. was uh, more of a moment for me than getting into Saturday Night Live. It was. <laughs> I was like, I am at the epicenter of what I think comedy could be. If you could combine Jackass and Punch Drunk Love, if you could combine uh, Charlie Kaufman yeah. with, uh, with Tom Green, I think that you could make something that was... That's what I was talking about earlier. Like, yeah. Like, both... Punch Drunk Love is about loss and sadness and, and hunger and, and isolation... I just want to watch it. It's it's re, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. That's not all of what people are. People yeah. are those things. Hopefully, uh, at their most honest. But they're also like there are times where you've been sick and you've sh- like you've had the worst diarrhea you've ever had in your life, and you're humiliated even though you're by yourself in your apartment. Yeah. And that's the that's the range of human experience. It's not one or the other. Yeah. And to pretend like, oh, I'm just a uh, this is a, a PBS special, I think, from uh, the early 2000s. It's really good. I know what you're talking Mooks about. Moose and midriffs. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, but that's not the only kind of people there are. I think that Mooks. I think that all those jackass guys have cried at the loss of a relationship. And if you could tell the story of that while also showing them punch each other in the balls to wake each other up, you would have something so precious and complete and painful and hilarious. Yeah. Like, I don't... I, I'm i working on... Like, one of the, my secret projects that I'm on right now um, is a story about death. Okay. And it's very much in the vein of Punch Drunk Love. But I'm trying very hard to infuse it with the sensibility of Jackass, with this, like, gonzo, crazy humor that is couched in the story of somebody who is is sad. Yeah. Um, I don't think, you know, like, the Internet's not a place for punch drunk love, the internet is a place for French kissing for dogs, yeah. which is very much a jackass yeah. s- style sketch. Uh, but that, d- like I, I just feel like maybe you've only seen the output that I've done for certain venues. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't have a, a deep knowledge of everything on your computer. I wish I did. I uh, <laughs> so much. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever, did you ever see, I think it was like a little documentary, maybe like a behind the music type thing about Steve-O? Yeah. Did you, uh, and like you talk about those, see like, I always find out like whenever really good human stuff happens, like when I'm like, oh, I recognize whatever's happened. Like you posted that article or that little thing today from the paprika guy. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, that got me for like 
the whole time I was reading that, I'm like, oh, I hate it. Because it was so... Yeah. I was like, oh, I was going through emotions. But, like, in that one, I remember Steve-O, they were... Tra- Johnny Knoxville and all those guys were trying to do, like, a very serious intervention because they cared about Steve-O. Yeah. And they just wanted him to stop being a psychopath. He's like, yeah, I'm going to film it. And there's, like, a frame of, like, a frame of, like, Johnny Knoxville, like, truly mad and sad and everything. And he, like, grabs the camera away from Steve-O. He's like, like, I'm trying to help you. You're like... Whoa, right there, that little like frame, like that's the moment. Uh, that's my favorite part of Jackass is all, out of all, out of that whole experience, everything that's come out of Jackass. I'm like, I like it when Johnny Knoxville is like a good guy. Jackass. And there's nobody stapling taints. Like, oh, I'm very happy. It's so happy funny, man. It's so funny. I get, I get crossed out by it. It's, I, get, I get it. I get it. It's so fucking funny, dude. Something. Like, Jackass is amazing. It's like, I made a list in college, I think, that was like, the things that I wanted to combine into one thing. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what's on that list. It's on some book, but it was like, uh, the author, Donald, Donald Barthelme, uh, Jackass. Uh, I think being John Malkovich was on that list. Um, Oh God, what else was on that list? It was like all of these different types of comedy, I think can be synthesized into one thing. Uh, that would be like, let's say you have your stereotypical couple and the girl likes one thing and the guy likes another thing, like really just broadly stereotypical. I want to write a show that the mook and the midriff or the mook is laughing at at the same time that his girlfriend is deeply moved. And then she laughs at something about, you know, in character or depth or relationship that he's, he's not bored by because he's waiting for the next time that somebody gets like, like fucking like they're farted in their face yeah. you know like it's, I think it's possible I don't know I think it is you're gonna, you're, if anybody's gonna figure it all out it's you Heather I mean, oh I hope so um alright let's uh let's get let's start winding down on this one Joey Cliff asked a question as he always does uh what is the best life advice or quote or phrase that cheers you up or motivates you when you're feeling down? That was a very good Joey Clift. Oh, that wasn't even my Joey Clift impression, but thank you. That was nice. <laughs> Wait, what was that qu- I was fixated on your impression. Was that the question? I feel like I want to do... Yeah, p- life advice, quote, something that cheers you up. I don't know. Something mm. in there. My piece of life advice is the thing that I say over and over again in class. And it's... I'm not... It's not a... It's not a slogan. It is absolutely how I wake up every fucking day. And it's, you are dying. You are dying every moment. You are dying. And in any given room, in any given audience, somebody in that audience is going to be dead in five years. Somebody's going to be dead in 10. And it could be you. Like, it could be... there. Like, 10,000 people die in cars every... Like, I don't know what people are waiting for. I don't know why you would wait. Like, I can remember with equal clarity yesterday and the first jam that I did at I.O. And I remember getting on stage and being like, someday I'm going to be in my early mid-30s and I'm going to look back and it's going to happen like this. And tomorrow I'm going to be 60. And the day after that, I'm going to be sick in a hospital. And you cannot fucking wait to create things. I like it. Um, so, like, but, like, fundamentally, people do wait to create things. And I've heard that, and I feel that always. 
I feel like I've been so aware of that thing that you just described, uh, like my whole life. Like I remember as a kid going like, Oh, right. This is, this, this whole thing has an end. This yeah. is finite. Yes. Uh, like, and I remember going like, well, that sucks. Like, it's the worst. And especially, I remember, especially as a kid, cause I'm like, I can't do anything. Yeah. I'm a kid. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I am very extremely guilty of this, uh, is that I don't feel like I produce enough. Uh, I don't feel like I work hard enough. I don't think I have a good enough output. Um, and, and I've been working through this, like, like a, like a, like trying to be my own psychologist and like, there's something wrong there that you need to fix. Uh, let's, I mean, why do you, we could, I want to turn this to a little mini conversation. Why do you think people, uh, uh, hold back from creating because it's. I mean, part They're of it's lying fear. To themselves. You think it's just lying? It's just. A, it's a lie. It's a lie that you tell yourself that it's not going to end. It's not. It's not a complete and total acceptance of the fact that you will die. Some some people put the salve of religion between themselves and there. There's like yeah. I. I used to think, uh, and still kind of want to freeze myself when I die, like to be cryogenically <laughs> preserved. Yeah. Uh, if you know the singularity doesn't happen, I can't download my brain into a computer. See, I feel feel like that would be worse. I don't know. I, don't I, know. I would I would I would give anything to not sure cease. And it occurred to me even then that even to be frozen and woken up in the future when they can cure whatever it is that killed me, that I still <laughs> have to die. Yeah. That you still have to die. Yeah. And I I feel like people just aren't they're not admitting it to themselves. Like there are friends of mine who've spent like months at a time, just not doing anything. And it's like part of you, you can argue it away with like, Oh, you know, that's, they're just relaxing. And that's what makes them happy. I think, I think that those people are in complete denial that they're dying Hmm. that like at any, and it's not fear. It's not fear. It's knowledge. Like every time I get in my car, I could die. Every time I go to sleep, I can die. Like, every fucking day is a triumph if I get to go to bed without being dead. The intensity of this thought and conversation is how I would describe your comedy. <laughs> well, it's because I... Here's, this is uh, so funny. Uh, yeah, before, somebody asked me, like, what does Heather find funny? Every day you're dying. Before... <laughs> Before my last meow show in in college, I turned to everyone and we're like the audience is cheering and the lights are down and we're all hugging each other and I said, uh, "This is going to be one of the memories that you have when your life is flashing before your eyes." Uh, and afterwards, a couple people were really upset at me and they're like, "That's the last thing I want to hear when I'm on stage." And I'm like, "But it's true." Yeah. And I remember that moment before we ran out on stage again like it just happened like time traveling uh and all of those moments that you experience in your life are those little time travel moments that you have immediate access to you know being the kid who realizes that they're going to die i have a very similar thing where i remember crying on the couch with my mom when i realized like that that space was infinite yeah. that we were infinitely small oh, <laughs> and that my life was uh was of speck yeah and holding my raggedy and doll and crying about it and like i cried in the shower 
<laughs> I, it was very personal. My mom wouldn't help out with that. The, uh, <laughs> the truth is that I'm, I'm going to remember this and I'm going to be 60. And I'm going to look, I don't want to be 60 and look back and, and think, oh, I should have gotten to those things. Like every time, I, I don't want to sound like I have like some kind of psychological morbidity problem or something, but every time I get on an airplane, it's this moment, like, everybody's a little bit afraid of flying, like yeah. a little tiny bit, <laughs> you know? Like, so, even the people who aren't afraid of flying are a little bit afraid of flying. Yeah. And every moment, I, I it's, uh, every time I get on a plane, I take a moment to be like, what are my regrets if the plane explodes right now? And as soon as the plane lands, I take care of those things. Okay. What? That's funny. It's not, I mean, it's, it's maybe it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> because everybody's a little scared when you land or when you take off. It's a little bit scary because no, you're totally. so out of control and then you're like can I, in, the, in the sky. Can I tell you, can I confess to you my fear? Because yeah. I know, uh, I know I, my dad's very much into planes uh, and I know that they're safe and I know that yeah. if it's going to happen, it's landing and taking off. I know right. all that. Uh, I found a new fear the last time I was flying. I was flying to Hawaii and I was over the ocean and I was over the clouds and it was beautiful and I was just looking at it and I'm like, God, that'd be beautiful. And I had a thought for a moment of like, what would clouds feel like? And then I got scared because I was like, what if you... <laughs> What if you think too hard of this moment and then suddenly apparate outside the plane and start falling to your death? Will you have the clarity of mind to apparate back into the plane? I suspect you won't, Stephen. It was uh, that was a new that was a new fear that I couldn't believe was inside of me, and I was just like, just think about something else. Turn on a podcast. God, that's so funny. Isn't that insane? It feels like fog. Like yeah, fog is clouds. No, I totally know. But you know, it's I was just thinking about it. I was just like, oh god, that'd be new. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, I know that planes are safe. Yeah, they're they're super safe. Super safe. But still when you're in the in just, it's, and you're doing something so completely unnatural as flying through the air as a human being, like when it's taking off, it's always like Okay. Uh, all, the, to... all the extra little sounds. You know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or like the rattling of things. Like, it's, you don't know what any, if anything means. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we do it so infrequently. Most people do it very infrequently. You don't fly every weekend. Yeah. If you did, I'm sure, like, all the sounds wouldn't mean anything. Yeah. It's like when your car starts rattling, you're not like, my axle's about to break and I'm about to burst into flames. Right. Well, every time, every time I assure myself that planes are safe, uh, the song Ironic comes into my mind. Oh, God. Where uh, it was the first time you fly and then it, the plane went down. And I was like, ah, so it could happen to this fictional yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, okay. So, so I love my, it. You're dying. My dark life advice. It's not dark though. I feel like it affects people in a dark way. It's not dark. It's just a call to action. That's all it is. It's just please live. Live because you're going to be dead. Yeah. That's, um, I, I was, I, I told, I was talking to my grandma about this, which is not like a fun conversation to have with an old lady. Uh, but I, I was saying like, what is cool about life is that it is finite. And, uh, I disagree. That's the worst. <laughs> no, no, no. Cause, because I feel like, uh, uh, achievements with all the time in the world mean nothing. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you had all the time in the world to do some stuff. Of course you could have done some stuff. Uh, if you go out at 26, <laughs> uh, I got my fingers crossed and you do a lot in those 26 years, that is uh, a way to put like a nice little 
uh, end on it. No, I don't know. Man. I, I feel like feel like I want that story to have a close. No way, man. No, you no want way. to go forever. No See, way. You can't go. But you can't go on forever. See, that's the bummer of it. We are ugh, whatever. God, guys, listen. You're 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 dying. <laughs> you're dying. So live. So live. All right. Uh, now the pearls of wisdom segment. <laughs> Here's a pun. Uh, a piece of advice. An improv or note or feedback. Something that you resonated with you, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this on board with what I'm doing." And comedy, mm. whatever, something that. A was, piece of advice that I got from somebody. Yeah, else? you know, I mean, it doesn't, you know, mm. a lesson that you learned, a, a note, mm. uh, feed, anything. <sighs> if you're. It's kind of about something we talked about earlier. If you're not up there on stage to have a good time, if you're too cool for it, get out of the way and let somebody else do it. Because you are taking up space for somebody who it means the world to them to be able to pretend in front of an audience. It it isn't you and and it, at its core, what is there to be too cool about? The thing that we do is ridiculous. It's literally playground games where it's like, oh, no, I'm Ghostbuster. No, I'm the Ghostbuster. Oh, yeah, well, my proton pack is, I mean, that's no but. But it's just a variation on that. It's yes and. Oh, you are? Cool. I'm a ghost. Yeah. Like, that's the only difference. It's so dumb. It's so silly. So dumb. So don't be too cool for it. I mean, like. A Navy SEAL isn't going to look at you and be like, be like, oh man, he took that comedy scene so seriously. I lost respect for them. They'll, instead, Navy SEAL will be like, this is, these people just spent 20 minutes like playing on stage and some of them are paid for it. Meanwhile, I am killing men. I am, I am a man killer or <laughs> like, like put it in the context. Like, don't be too cool for it. Don't be too cool for it. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Heather, thank you so much for coming on <laughs> my show, inviting me into your lovely place. Thanks. Uh, may you live forever. Oh, man, <laughs> I want to. Great. All right. That was Heather Ann Campbell. I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, that show. Uh, there was There's an uplifting message to be found there. I hope you, you searched it out. I mean, there, it's an uplifting message. I, I don't know, man. It's okay. Everything's okay. Uh, real quick, I want to plug a couple of shows. February 1st at 8 o'clock, Distant Relatives is at the Improv Space in Westwood. We're there every Friday at 8 p.m. Come check us out. Uh, February 4th at 10 p.m., Sticks Martin is doing the I.O. West uh, Cherry Crush Main Stage Competition. Come out, support. Uh, we could use your help to cherry crush the other team uh and then also on february 17th at 10 p.m my sketch team dumb shit mountain is doing the ios main stage we're going to do a whole new show lots of good stuff i'm premiering a video that i wrote and directed and i'm going to be in some stuff uh it's going to be great so anyway come check those things out uh happy improvising golden age of improv uh be excellent to each other and uh, should i add to it you're all going to die no I think I'm going to leave that one out, Heather. It's good, but I, I'm just going to leave it out. You know what? I don't know. It's okay. We're all going to live forever, right? I wonder if I could like artfully say that and then be sincere, but I don't think I can. Uh, oh, Heather, what have you done to me? All right.
until next time we'll talk to you then bye Hi. Hi! I'm Chad Westbrook. And I'm Nicholas Wagoner. And are you a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? You should be. You very much should be. Come listen and subscribe to our podcast, How Is She Though? Where we recap every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Come and get your daily dose of vitamin gay, honey. Oh, cr- oh, cr- <laughs>